Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right, there. Woo, that was live. Hey, it's good to see you today. Let me welcome you. Um, how close are we? Are, are we close? I can share my most vulnerable things. I mean, I do in the pulpit, but can I just make a confession before we get started? Somewhere between the first service and the second service, I busted the zipper in my pants. And so um, I wish that flower were a lot higher. Kim saw it when I was walking up, and I said, I know, it's a safety pin. And so uh, if, if you see something hanging out, it's not a shirt, it's a safety pin, okay? And um, I'll try to preach like this, but hey, it happens. And so first time in my 30 plus years of preaching, I broke it before I preached, but there it is. I've shared with you now, you share your most vulnerable moment with your neighbor. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just, I could just pull my shirt out. I may do that before it's over because I knew somebody was going to notice that somebody being Betty Butler and she would put it on Facebook and talk about it. I knew because I was ugly to her on Facebook yesterday. She'd get me back. <laughs> hey, it's good to see you. I don't, I've never opened the service that way. I hope to never open it again. But there we go. Um, couple announcements. One, the backpack ministry, please see that and get involved in that ministry. And, um, and there's, there, it's not a lot that they're trying to raise, but there's there to help some families. And then also the Mothers in Prayer is starting back. And, um, and Hannah Jones is the contact person for that. And, and, and so please get involved with them. Are you ready to worship today? After that wonderful opening to worship, are you ready? Let's stand up and greet one another. Let everybody know you're glad they're here. All right. You be seated. It's good to um, to hear all of you fellowshipping together, and, and and it's good to see the church together. We're glad you're here, and we want to welcome you. And um, if you need more information about our church, 
we would love to help you with that. Um, you can ask for it, um, but you can also scan the QR codes on the back and it gives you places to, to go and get more information. We won't give you more than you asked for, um, but if you want a visit, we'll come see you. If you'd rather not have a visit, but just like to have stuff on, online or in the mail, we'll help you in any way we can to find out more about our church. But we have a beautiful call to worship this month. It comes straight out of the book of Revelation. And so let's look at it together and read it out loud. Would you join me? And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. We praise you. You are seated on your throne, and yet your spirit is here. You are in us personally, but you are also here because you are everywhere. We don't have to go looking for you. We don't even have to ask you to come because you're already here. But we do ask that you would manifest yourself to us today, that you would change our hearts and you would make us more like you. Bless the reading of the scripture. Bless the singing, the reading of scripture again and the preaching. Bless the response, the giving. Bless every aspect of it. May it all be done for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Paul, come read our scripture. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Old Testament book of Nahum, beginning in chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him, but with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time, for they are like entangled thrones, like drunkard as they drink. They are consumed like stubble fully dried. From you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength in many, they will be cut down and passed away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. The Lord will give commandments unto you. No more shall your name be preceded from the house of your gods. I will cut off the craved images and the metal images. I will make your grave for you are vile. Behold, Upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feast, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Paul. Let's continue to worship through music this morning. Let's give God just 
all of our worship from our head to our toes. Let's glorify his name.
sing this next song, God has raised us. If you know Jesus Christ, he has raised you from the dead. He has brought us from darkness into light. He has brought us from death into life. And this is our testimony as we share this song. Yeah. 
That's our God. Won't you be seated and let's pray together. Father, we thank you because there is nothing better than you. And I guess we, we should start with confession that so many times we consider other things better than you. Forgive us. There's nothing. There's no one, there's no thing. Never has been, never will be anything better than you. You are all glorious. We praise you. You raised the dead. Literally, you've raised the dead. Spiritually, you do it literally in our lives when you bring us from death to life. You walk on water. You open blind eyes and deaf ears. Jesus, you you came and showed us your glory. You walked among us. John said, they beheld your glory. And as we come to the pages of your word, as we we come to you in prayer, as as we meditate on you and your goodness, we see your beauty. And we just want to confess that you are the all-beautiful one. I know that there are needs in this room, Lord. And we lift them to you. There are some that are dear and hard to people now. It's a hard thing they're going through. God, would you come alongside of them? Let them rest in you. Comfort them. We, we lift up those who are sick. Of course, we, we would love to see you heal. And we call upon you to heal. But we know that there's physical healing and spiritual healing and emotional healing. We also know there's higher healing when we come to be with you and we're glorified. And so we trust you in every situation. But we know you can do all things. And so we ask to move in these difficult situations. To give wisdom and to open doors and to to make things that seem impossible possible. Father, I pray for the greatest miracle of all today. That if there's anyone in this room or who listens, who's lost. That they would come to know you. That the veil would be dropped. Their eyes would be opened. And they would move from death into life. Help us, Father. We praise you. And we need you. So speak to us now through your word. Admittedly, you you led James to write it. So you know that this is a difficult passage for us. But I pray that we will listen. and, And that even as we talk about something like money. That we would not close our ears, close our eyes, or our hearts, but that we would be stewards of what you have given us. So God, I pray that you would guard us very closely from the enemy now. He'll try to close us off to your message, so help us, Lord. I just read, the psalmist said, with you is plentiful redemption. 
We need your redemption. We need those to be redeemed who are lost, those, those who've walked away to be restored. So we ask, God, that you would do what only you can do. I can share, I can preach, but you save. You change hearts. So change our hearts, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We turn this morning to the last chapter of the book of James, James chapter 5. I was sitting there thinking as, as I was singing, maybe I could put the Kleenex box, but it's not. Maybe I could put the Kleenex box. There we go. Now you can't see. Yeah. If you were late, you can ask your neighbor. <laughs> so. James chapter 5. If you want to stand and honor the reading of God's word, I invite you to do that if you're able. We're standing not only for the reading of God's word, there's other times we read it, but we stand in honor of the reading and then the upcoming preaching of God's word. We see that especially in the book of Nehemiah. And so that's why we do this. Um, James chapter 5, verse 1, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fatted your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is the word of the Lord. That's one of those you don't know whether to say thanks be to God or owe me, right? Because it's a, it's a tough passage. Let me just remind you that these verses are the, are the last of the section that James is teaching us. He, he starts back in chapter 4 and verse 6 where he says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And what he's been doing is showing us how God shows us how we can live under his grace rather than under his opposition. And in these verses, he shows us three, really three sins of pride. In verse, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, the pride of speaking down to your brother. Not just speaking evil of, which is sin, but also speaking down because you think you're better. And in verses 13 through 17, he, he speaks of the pride of presuming upon the future. And we saw that, you know, we ought to ask not, um, we ought to make plans saying if the Lord wills and praying about it and seeking God's will. And then in our text, we find the sin of pride where the rich are using their wealth to oppose and indulge, oppose the poor and indulge themselves. It comes again in the context, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
But there's something that's different about this text. As I read it, you see the, the harshness of it. And, and what you want to see is the tone has changed a little bit. And it would seem in these verses, just these six verses, that James shifts his attention from the church and those inside the church, because he's talked to the wealthy in the church already. But now it seems as he's moving outside the church and he's speaking about those who are lost, who are the ones who are oppressing the poor inside the church. You say, well, why would you say? And I would admit that there are those who think he's still talking to Christians here, that we're Christians. But, but there are three reasons I would give you that I think he's talking about the lost. And it's just real hard. There's no mention of there being brothers or sisters. And all the way through James, he's talked about brothers and sisters, but there, and a couple of times he's not with the church, but here it is, he, there's no mention of them. And then he tells them to weep and howl, weep and howl for the judgment that's coming. That's not language used for believers. We don't weep and howl for the judgment because we're covered in Christ. And then thirdly, he, he seems to, because of that, anticipate final judgment and not final salvation. And so as James is talking to them, he's, he's talking about people that judgment is coming. And, and it really seems like James is taking on the mantle of the Old Testament prophet. And he's speaking out against oppression and he's speaking out against those who oppress, especially um, the lost who are oppressing the poor inside the church. Now, if we're not careful, I'll say all that, and you say, okay, I can just take it easy. I'm, 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 I'm saved, and so James is not writing to me. Yes, he is. I think what we need to do is understand that while James is writing to the church, the poor Christians who are being oppressed, I think inside the church, he's written to those who are also wealthy, and he's writing to us to make us think and make us see that we are stewards of God and, and not bosses of God. And you may stop immediately and say, well, you can talk about the wealthy all you want. I'm not wealthy. You're wealthy in somebody's eyes. I went back and looked at it this week. If, if you make $20,000 a year, if you make $20,000 a year, you are in the richest 10% of the global world. $20,000 a year puts you in the richest 10% of the global world. We are all wealthy in somebody's eyes. And we need to realize that. And as we think about this, we need to realize that James is not just talking to them out there. He's talking to us in here. He opens it in verse 1 with a warning. There's a warning. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Weep and howl. Judgment's coming. That word howl is, is, is only used by Old Testament prophets, and it's always used in the context of judgment. And what James is saying when he says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, James is saying there's a misery that comes as a result of being under God's opposition. Church, we can't forget that. 
There is a misery that comes from being under the opposition of God. And so we must humble ourselves so that we can come under his grace, so that we can come under his salvation. So, so what they're doing is, is, is doing something that causes pronouncement of judgment. And what we need to do is ask ourselves, what were they doing to make this judgment come? Every commentary I read, every pastor, every sermon, they all basically outlined it the exact same way. And so let me just show you, there are four actions here that James says they're doing. Four things the rich who I believe are lost outside the church, that also the rich inside the church and those here sitting in today could also be guilty of. And so we need to be very careful when we look at this. Four actions. The first is they were hoarding. They were hoarding. In James's day and in the Old Testament days, because James was right after that, in the beginning of the church, there were three sources of wealth. Outside of land, there were three sources of wealth. Grain, gold and silver, and clothing. Grain, gold and silver, and clothing. Make sure you see something up front. James is not condemning wealth in this passage. The Bible does not condemn wealth for wealth's sake. It never does. Wealth is a good thing if it's used for the glory of God. What he's condemning is how they got wealth. That's what we need to see in this passage. He's not condemning that they have it, but how they got it. The problem's not wealth, but it's the sinful use of it. So money's not the sin. Sometimes we miss the, the verse. You know, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. The worship of money is sin. The use of money can be sin. But it's safe to say when you look at all that Jesus teaches in all the New Testament, and even when you go back to the Old Testament, it is safe to say that wealth can be good and is useful for the kingdom of God but it always has the tendency to be a spiritual handicap. We gotta beware. That's why the Bible tells us to beware of greed. It tells us to watch out for it, to be careful. See, Jesus was upfront about this type of thing in several places if you just go and read the Gospels. James says, your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. He's covering their sources of wealth. Just look at that passage for a second. They hoarded grain and it is rotted in the barns. They hoarded their clothes and the moths have destroyed. They hoarded the gold and silver and it has corroded. That's interesting that, that James uses a word that says that the gold and silver has rusted. And there are those who look at the Bible and scoff and say, real gold and real silver don't rust. Well, James knows that. James is not dumb. He saw more gold and silver than we see it because we, we hear about it, but other than wearing it on our necks and, and, on, and on our bodies, we don't trade in gold and silver. They did. He's making a point, and he's being ironic. Hear the irony of what he's saying. The metals that the world think will last forever will lose their value in eternity. The things that you give everything to get will lose its value. Heaven uses gold to pave the streets. And I know I've said it. Let me say it again because it makes the point. If you're wearing a gold necklace, if you show up in heaven with a gold necklace, it's like showing up here with an asphalt necklace. It just doesn't make much sense. They just paved the streets with that stuff. 
And that's the irony of what James is saying. What James is saying is, is needy people went without food, needy people went without clothes, needy people went without wealth, and the rich here were heartless and stockpiled it to preserve that wealth. So their grain, they had plenty, but they didn't share it. Their, their gold and silver, they had plenty, but they didn't share it. Their, their, their clothing, they had plenty, but they didn't share it. And Jesus says, I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. I was in prison, you didn't visit me. I was sick and you didn't come. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. And so we look at this passage and we understand that that action, that, that action of stockpiling in order to preserve your wealth while others are dying without it, that action has turned to spiritual rot for their souls. James says the misuse of it, look at this verse, the corrosion will be evidenced against you. The rod of all this wealth will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire because you laid up treasure. What does he mean? You laid up treasure with the world in mind and you forgot eternity. 401ks are good. Retirement plans are great. And we ought to try to get them. And, 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 and you ought to learn as quickly as you can about Roth IRAs and all those kind of things. And start investing now. Those are good things. Accumulating wealth is a good thing. But make sure you use it with eternity in mind and not the world in mind. We don't like to have people talk to us about money from the pulpit, do we? I don't know which one we dislike most, um, money or politics. But we don't like either one. We don't like people talking to us about money, but we've got to be reminded constantly of two things. One is we're just stewards and that's all. Everything you have is a gift from God. Everything you have came from God. Everything. You say, I worked hard for it. Yes, he gave you the gift to work for it. I planned it out. Yes, he gave you the mind. And if you really just want to try it, just say, God, from now on, I want to do it all on my own. Don't give me any more. Don't help me anymore. I'll do it all by myself and see what happens. You're a steward and nothing more. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision that requires us to seek God. But here's the second thing. We will be held accountable for how we spend. We'll be held accountable. Now, we don't like to think about that. But we will. The money trail of our life is the surest testimony to what you love and worship. Let me say that again. The money trail in your life is the surest testimony to what you love and worship. The rich here were hoarding. But secondly, they were robbing. They were robbing. They were literally committing fraud. Look at what he says. Behold the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields. Their barns are full of grain because they have mowed the fields, which you have kept back by fraud or crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Does that sound like Exodus? Moses, their cries have reached my ears. I'm going to deliver them. God hears the cries of his people. He hears the cries of the poor. Their barns are full, their grain was rotting, and yet they held back wages of those who put the grain there. Understand, in James's day, workers lived day to day. 
They didn't get paid bi-weekly. They didn't get paid every week. They didn't get paid once a month. They got paid every single day. And so if you withheld the wage from the worker of the day, then he was not able to buy food or she was not able to buy food and their family didn't eat. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. I'll be quite honest with you. I'm, I'll let the, the politicians figure out what minimum wage ought to be. And I'll let the politicians talk about minimum wage and fair wages and those kind of things. But I will tell you this, I won't let the politicians speak about what the Bible speaks about. And the Bible speaks very clearly about expectations for those who pay the wages to the poor. I'll give you three verses. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, and I'll give it if you have it with you. Now, you can apply it in all kinds of ways. You ordered 10 boxes of Girl Scout cookies when you were not dieting, and now the Girl Scout cookies are showing up, and you're dieting. You say, hey, you come back. I'll pay you later. You got it right then? Pay that girl. Pay that person. You owe pay. And that's what he's saying here. Pay what you owe, but specifically written to a people who live day to day. Look at Leviticus 19.13. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Why? Because if you keep them, they don't eat. Deuteronomy 24.14 and 15. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy. Listen to this. Whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land, within your towns, you shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets. For he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. It's written to people who live day to day. And what he's saying is there's an expectation of a fair wage paid on time. Now notice this, work was expected. We need to see that. Work was expected in that day. They just didn't get paid for not doing anything, but we need to see that when they worked, they were expected to receive a fair wage on time. It was sin to hold it back for your own personal profit. Now why were they holding it back? Why were they robbing the people? Well, it leads you to the third sin in verse 5. It's the sin of self-indulgence. The sin of indulgence. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fatted your hearts in a day of slaughter. The phrase you have lived is, is a phrase that speaks of extravagant lifestyle. It speaks of going on and, and, and living in luxury and self-indulgence. They, they were taking the pleasures. They were living soft and comfortable lives. And notice two things in this passage that cry out. First, the wages cry out. The wages of the workers cry out to God. And the cry of the workers themselves cry out to God. And it says it was reaching the ears of the Lord of hosts. This is not about equal wages for everyone. This is not communism. Don't let James be twisted to say that. It's not that everybody makes the same. It's about fair wages. It's about compassion to those who work. We don't have to all live in mud huts. 
nor do we all have to live in mansions. There are those who, who live here and we live a much more comfortable life than those that I've been and seen in places like Africa. I understand that. That's not saying that everybody ought to live in the same way. We don't have to live without, even here, without the pleasures of life. But if we live in luxury and self-indulgence, listen, by taking advantage of the poor, by stealing from them what is rightfully theirs, or can I just say, by rightfully refusing to give to God and robbing God in tithes and offerings. Judgment can be expected. Can be expected. There's something else here. There's violence. There's violence. These are the four sins. Hoarding, robbing, self-indulgence, and violence. Look at verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. We, we, we saw murder earlier, and, and, and he was talking about the church. And, and I said to you, I didn't think you were literally murdering one another. It was probably more figurative. And, and this may be more figurative, but maybe we shouldn't be so quick to discount how we impact other people's lives when we, create, when we do these four things. I'm, I'm intentionally going to confront some things that that won't make us comfortable, but let me just say, hear me carefully. If the CEO has the top of the line insurance plan, hear me carefully, and refuses to offer his employees a decent plan, maybe not even the same plan, but a decent plan, does that impact that worker's family and hospitalization and the sickness of a child? And the medicines they take. If you hold back wages for work that is done, do we ever call someone to choose between food and medicine? Could we be guilty of death? Now you say, well, wait a minute. Well, let me just ask you. Let's just let's press this a little bit more. What about the world? Something as simple as clean water. A lack of food. It's easy to pick on this, but drug companies who make billions and billions of dollars while third world people are dying by the millions from a lack of a vaccine. Can we live with that? Oh, we love to get on insurance companies, and if you work for one, I know you probably don't have anything to do with the prices, but insurance companies drive up the prices. Governments oppress the poor and keep them poor for a vote. Churches, look at us. We build buildings in the shadows of those under the shadow dying of starvation. Can we rest? Can, I'm going to make your day here. Can we rest that 40,000 children starve to death today? That 500, on average, 525,000 children die every year from diarrhea? Can we rest with that? That a million people die every single year from malaria when it's easily prevented? We think, well, that's not our problem. 
That's not our problem. We don't have anything to do with that. Here's the thing that drives me crazy. Statistics show that if those in America who claim to be Christian just tithed, there would be 165 billion additional dollars to be used. Just tithed. 165 billion dollars. With that kind of money, it's possible to rid the world of global hunger. It is easily done with that kind of money. It is easily done. We can get rid of illiteracy. We can fix water issues. We can provide the necessary medicines. I just can't get over a little girl in Tanzania this year that comes in about six, seven years old, dirty and blind. Blind because when she was two years before, she had some type of scarlet fever or something like that. We couldn't tell. And she lost her eyesight because mama couldn't afford to take her to the doctor. I can't get over that. That a preventable disease. And all we could do is give her a lollipop. Church, there's so much more we can do. So much more. In our own city, in our own state, where poverty, in our own county, where poverty is rampant. There's so much more we could do if we just tithed. James doesn't leave us with such a negative picture. I could close now and make you feel guilty and shamed and I feel convicted, not guilty or shame, but convicted. But I'm not going to leave you here. I want you to see the beauty of Jesus in this passage. It hit me as I was studying. Look at verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. I understand you have condemned and murdered the poor You've condemned and murdered, but the righteous person, he does not resist you. Who's the only righteous person that's ever walked this earth? It's Jesus. Jesus. They condemned him. They murdered him. He, he, he didn't resist. Judas, Judas sold him out. The priests condemned him. The Romans murdered him. He didn't resist. That's why in the next few verses, James is going to say, be patient, be patient. They're condemning you. They're, they're, they're persecuting you. They're oppressing you. But be patient. The Lord's coming. Be patient. Don't fight like they fight. Don't, don't fight fire with fire. You keep being righteous. The Lord's coming. 
Jesus didn't resist. He, he left the glory of heaven for the sinful world so that we could be redeemed. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And here's what I want to ask you. Can I really claim to be a follower of Jesus if I can't see myself as a steward? Can I really be a follower of Jesus if, if I don't open my hands to the riches and possessions I have and let God use them? Yes, I have pleasures. Yes, I have good things and you have good things. I'm not saying that you should feel guilty about those, but I'm saying, can I use what God has given me to bring him greater glory and help those who are needy? Paul says to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness. You see, when I see Jesus for all of his beauty, when I see Jesus high and lifted up, when I see the Jesus that we just sang about, when I look and behold him, I open my hands and I hold it loosely because none of this matters compared to him. And when it no longer matters, I give what he calls me to give. I keep what he calls me to keep. I spend what he calls me to spend. But I do it as a steward because he's the master. And not only is he master, he's beautiful. So godliness with contentment, I'm content in him. Paul says, we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of the world. And yet we hold on to it like we can take it out. We can't. Jane, or Paul in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, he warns those who desire to be rich in verses 9 and 10. And then in verse 17, he speaks to those who are rich. And this is what he says. And remember what I said, 20,000 bucks puts you in the top 10% in the global economy. This is what he says to the rich. Don't be haughty. Don't set your hopes on riches, but set them on God. Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share and store up treasures in heaven. We've been working on something a few weeks. Um, Crystal Wall is running with it, and, and we're going to tell you more about it. But let me just give you a challenge that we have coming up that I think can help our church be the hands and feet of Jesus in our city. Chris has been in contact with Iola Elementary. Iola is just right down the road from us. And I would just tell you, for example, Cropwell is partnering with Williams, and, and Mount Pisgah is cropping, crop, um, partnering with with. Um, Coosa Valley, and, and we want to partner with Iola as a church to, to help need. Something as simple we're finding out as snacks. When, when our girls went to school, there were snacks in their backpack. We never thought about the fact that there are children in that classroom who don't get snacks because mom and dad can't afford snacks. Teachers supply snacks for them out of their own pockets. And what we want to suggest is that we partner with them and do something as simple as this. Don't bring them yet. We'll let you know what to bring. But that we just give snacks to every teacher at Iola 
to provide for those children. That as wintertime comes, that we find out who needs a coat. And we just provide vouchers from local stores where they can go buy the coat of their choice and be warm. That, that the child is wearing sandals and flip-flops could get some winter shoes. When school starts back, that they could get a voucher to get a haircut. And that we could make sure that their backpacks going home on Fridays are full of food so they can eat. We just want to do this, not only for them, but to help the teachers. Teachers don't make a whole lot of money if you haven't looked for what they do. They make good money, for, but not anything compared to what they should get paid. And we know that. But can we help them? Can we help the teachers? Can we help? Why Iola? Well, because it's closest to us. But also, I don't say this braggadociously. It's just true. I think our church is probably in a greater position of financial wealth than any other church in our city. And Iola has the greatest need. There are more free lunch programs at Iola than in any other school in our city. There's more need. Can we be hands? Can we be feet of Jesus? I love it when I talk about these things and, and people, when I start talking about minimum wage and talking about poly, all these same people, say, man, you're kind of leaning left there a little bit. <laughs> I don't lean. I heard this the other day. Young man was getting interviewed by a church and the committee said, hey, pastor, I just want you to know our church leans a little left. Where do you lean? He said, the Holy Spirit told him what to say. And he said, can't say that, Holy Spirit. If I say that, I won't get to church. And his name was Sammy. He said, say it, Sammy. And I want to say what he said. We don't lean, we stand. We stand on what the Word says. And we will call sin what is sin. And we will call holy what is holy. But we will love and be the feet and hands of Jesus. And if you don't like that, then you don't know the Jesus I know. We're stewards. It's time. It's time for us to continue to do the missions that we do overseas. But it's time for this church to be known it's people who love Jesus. You just won't believe the number of people that come through the office that Priscilla helps week after week. You wouldn't believe the needs. And every single month, and I'm so tired of hearing this, I hear Linda say, You'll have to come in next month because we're out of funds. If we just tithed, can you imagine what we as a church could do in this city and in this world? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. I'm just going to ask Kim to come and play. I don't even know what we had scheduled to sing, so don't get mad at me. We're not singing. If it's your favorite song, I'm sorry. But I think there's some time for contemplation here.
as Kim plays, I want to ask you, what about your finances? I don't know what any of you give. I know what Kim and I give. But I want to ask you, are you being a faithful steward? Are you showing your love for Jesus with the possessions you have? with the time you have, with the gifts you have, with the talents. Listen, if everybody in this room sold everything they had and gave it to the poor, in a few weeks we'd all be poor. Jesus did call some people to do that, but he's not calling all of you to do it. He's calling us all to be willing, but he is calling all of us to use what we have to bring him glory. And that may just be that you start with that 10%. You may say, Pastor, I've been given 10% my whole life. Have you thought about 11? Have you thought about what Mr. Evan Zeiger used to say that his goal was that the largest check he wrote was to the church? I'm not saying that selfishly. Of course, my salary is dependent on your giving. I understand that. But I'm not doing it for that reason. I'm talking about the money that goes out of this church into the people's lives that are hurting. I'm talking about just being faithful. your finances, your time, your talents, your gifts. Shouldn't be a need in the children's ministry and teaching. There shouldn't be a need anywhere in this church in teaching. Would you ask God if there's any area of your life that you're not pleasing Him as a steward? Maybe there's a neighbor with a need or a coworker. Maybe there's a person you go to school with and you've noticed people have made fun of his shoes. You could find a way to get new shoes to a teacher. friend of mine was in a preaching class at New Orleans. A young man got up to preach and his suit was rattered, tattered, ragged. All those young preachers who didn't have much, I can promise you in seminary, came together and got with a professor and bought him a brand new suit and a new pair of shoes because he couldn't afford it. What would God have you do to be the hands and feet of Jesus this week? day would you ask him now if you need to do something public if you want to join our church or do something else we'll be here at the front Tim can meet you we can help you but I just want you to spend a few moments seeing yourself as a steward and asking the master what he would have you do
Father, I'm sharing a heart that you already know that I'm glad to get through this part of the book of James. It's not easy to preach. I've got to face the conviction as I study it, and we've got to face the conviction as we hear it. I'm looking forward to talking about your coming. And we just want to acknowledge that you are coming again, and we want to be found faithful. We pray for those who are hurting in our city. For those who face life without running water, without electricity in our county. For those children who are looking forward to school tomorrow because they'll eat. God, I just think of what we could be. If we put as much energy in following you as we put in other stuff. I love you. And I know that I'm with people who love you. We just ask, Lord, that you would show us how to love you more. We believe. Just help our unbelief. Let us be faithful, I pray. And let us stand on biblical truth. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for being here. You have a great opportunity. And if we can get the light, he's coming up. Um, to apply what I have preached today as you walk out, the ushers will be at the door. I don't say that lightly. Giving is truly a sign of our heart. I don't say a lot about it. I don't want to be the one that beats you over the head every week about giving. I'll just remind you that if we just gave $10 per giving unit each week extra, every need we have met, it would be met, and every need in the requested new budget would be met if we just did that. So I want to encourage you to give. And then I also want to give... Um, appreciation and applause where applause is due. Um, when he first came on staff 15 years ago, he was working on his doctorate and he got notification that his um, final dissertation was approved. So let me introduce to you Mr. Tim Doctor, Dr. Tim Gold. Tim, stand up for a second. As you know, that's not a small accomplishment. And so we're proud of you, Tim, and I know you've been working hard on that. If you're waiting for your wife to call you doctor, <laughs> I just want to know, Holly, how old are you? 20 what? 23. I got my doctorate when Holly was born. Still hasn't happened. <laughs> so every one of us will call you Dr. Tim. We're glad you're here. Want to greet you, and if I'm over here, um, and if I can help you, Hannah Jones, sorry, will you wave your hand? Um, if you want to talk, Hannah, stand up for a second. Um, yeah, stand up. She's, if you're interested in the moms in prayer that's in the bulletin, that's the person to talk to. And so please see her if, in, and get involved. She can help you get involved in that in other ways as well. And so glad you're here. Ushers are at the door. God bless you. I, let me just let you go. Okay, God bless you. Take off. <laughs>